Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Before I read this section, I just, I just can't help but comment on something that Mikhail had said from, in his drop that was so good. And I, he's talking about, you know, being a light and the Torah is the light and we've got to read the Torah. And in our parasha, Be'alotka, Hashem is rebuking Miriam and he's rebuking Aaron for rebuking Moses. And what is Moses known for? Moses is known for the law of God, right? The Torah. That's why it's called the law of Moses. It's like synonymous with Moses. And Mikael was talking about the pay and uh, bringing the pay out, speaking the words. And so Hashem says in Numbers chapter 12 and verse 8, He says, Pay, O pay, adaber bo umare velo vehedot utmenot adonai. He says, mouth to mouth, pay el pay do I speak to Moses. Mouth to mouth. Why? Because Moses is known for getting into the Torah of Hashem. And by the way, he goes on to say, But he doesn't, I don't speak to him in dreams and visions, but I, he speaks to my image. So pay, I'll pay, I'll pay, and the image of God is the Torah of Hashem. So when we are studying the Torah and reading the Torah, as we're about to do again here, we have to understand that we are, number one, we are looking at the image of God, and He is speaking to us mouth to mouth. It's translated face to face, but the Hebrew uses mouth to mouth because it doesn't get much more personal than mouth to mouth, like mouth to mouth resuscitation, right? You want to be revived, you need mouth-to-mouth, and that is called the Torah. Chapter 30, verse 14, Reuben went out in the days of the wheat harvest. He found Dudaim in the field and brought them to Leah, his mother. Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's Dudaim. But she said to her, was your taking my husband insignificant and now to take even my son's Dudaim? Rachel said, therefore, he shall lie with you tonight in return for your son's dudaim. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, it is to me that you must come, for I have clearly hired you with my son's dudaim. So he lay with her that night. God hearkened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah declared, God has granted me my reward because I, I gave my maidservant to my husband, so she called his name Issachar. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son, and Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will make his permanent home with me, for I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter, and she called her name Dina. God remembered Rachel 
God hearkened to her, and he opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. So she called his name Joseph, saying, May Adonai add for me another son. And it was when Rachel had given birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Grant me leave that I may go to my place and to my land. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, and I will go, for you are aware of my service that I labored for you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, I have learned by divination that Adonai has blessed me on account of you. By the way, that statement right there is one of the greatest statements of, of uh, self-delusion and self-deception. I've learned through divination that Hashem has blessed you. And he said, specify your wage to me and I will give it. But he said to him, you know how I served you and what your livestock were with me for the little that you had before I came has expanded substantially as Adonai has blessed you with my coming. And now, when will I also do something for my own house? He said, what shall I give you? And J Jacob said, do not give me anything. If you will do this thing for me, I will resume pastoring and guarding your flock. Let me pass through your whole flock today. Remove from there every speckled or spotted lamb, every brownish lamb among the sheep, and spotted or speckled among the goats. That will be my wage. Let my integrity testify for me in the future when it comes before you regarding my wage. Any among the goats that is not speckled or spotted among the sheep that is not brownish is stolen if in my possession. And Laban said, Agreed, if only it will be as you say. So he removed on that very day the ringed and spotted he goats and all the speckled and spotted goats and every one that contained white as well as the brownish ones among the sheep. And he left them in the charge of his sons. And he put a distance of three days between him and Jacob. And Jacob tended Laban's remaining flocks. Jacob then took himself fresh rods of poplar and hazel and chestnut, and he peeled, he peeled white streaks in them, laying bare the whites of the rods, and he set up the rods which he had peeled in the, in the runnels and the watering receptacles to which the flocks came to drink, facing the flocks, so that they would become stimulated when they came to drink. Then the flocks became stimulated by the rods, and the rods gave birth to ringed ones, speckled ones, and spotted ones. Jacob segregated the lambs, and he made the flocks face the ring ones, and all the brownish ones among Laban's flocks. He formed separated droves of his, way, of his own and did not mingle them with Laban's flocks. Whenever it was mating time for the early bearing flocks, Jacob would place the rods in the trunnels in front, full view of the flock to stimulate them among the rods. But when the sheep were late bearing, he would not in place thus. The late bearing ones went to Laban, and the early bearing ones went to Jacob. The man became exceedingly prosperous, and he attained food good flocks, maidservants, and servants, camels, and donkeys. I want to begin by reading something from Midrash Tankuma with respect to our section here of, of, of Rachel and Leah and this interesting story about the flocks and the striped ones and so on. We'll have a lot to share today, but let's begin here. It's Midrash Tankuma. Vayetse, paragraph 6, God remembered Rachel. Teach us, our rabbi, what blessing does one recite upon seeing a beautiful person? Thus did our rabbis teach upon seeing a beautiful creature or trees, one should recite, he whose lot is thus in his world. There was no one more beautiful than Rachel, and because of her beauty, Yaakov wanted to marry her. He would send gifts to be given to Rachel, 
But Laban took them and gave them to Leah. Rachel kept quiet. Rabbanon Shinom ben Gamilel said, I spent all my life among wise men, and I found nothing better for a person than silence. Rachel grasped the virtue of silence, and her descendants remained with the virtue of silence. She saw that her gifts were in the possession of her sister, and yet she was silent. The stone that represented the tribe of Benjamin on the ephod, which was worn by the Kohen Gadol, was called Yoshve. It was called Yoshve because he, Benjamin, knew that his brother Yosef was sold, and yet he remained silent. The precious stone Yoshve is an acronym for Yesh Lopeh, he has a mouth, but he remains silent. Regarding the, the king uh, Saul, which is Rachel's descendant, who was destined to be king of Israel, it is said, Saul told his uncle that the donkeys had been found, but about the matter of kingship of which Samuel had spoken to him, he did not tell him. Regarding Esther, it is said, Esther would not reveal the identity of her heritage to her people. Leah grasped the virtue of thanksgiving, and her descendants remained with the virtue of thanksgiving to God, as it says, this time I will give thanks to Adonai. And regarding Judah, her son, it says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Now David was a descendant of Judah, and he said, give thanks to Adonai, for he is good. In reference to Daniel, who was also of the tribe of, of Judah, it says, he had fa windows facing Jerusalem, and three times a day he fell on his knees, and he prayed, and he gave thanks to, before God. Now, Rabbi Yehuda said, Great is the virtue of silence. For in the merit of her silence, Rachel was privileged to establish two additional tribes in Israel, Ephraim and Manasseh. Why did she remain silent? Rabbi Shimon ben Yochanai said, She said to herself, if I send a message to Yaakov saying that my father was giving my sister the gifts that he had sent for me, he would not get them back. And my father would never give me to him in marriage. And I would be kept afar from this righteous man. The Holy and Blessed Be, he said, Since you were silent, I swear that in the merit of your silence, I will remember you as it is stated, God remembered Rachel. Sometimes we have to be silent in trust and what God has for our life. We want to be people who uh, sometimes we want to kick the doors down. We want to make things happen. We want to uh, be constantly working to try to help God figure things out. Rachel, we, through this story of Rachel and Leah and the other sisters we learned, Zilpah and Bilhah, there's a lot of faith. There's a lot of virtue. There's a lot of caring about two things. We learned this last week, and it's going to kind of spill over into this week. We learned two things last week. We learned that, that the focus was on caring for somebody else and caring about what God wants. There was very little about uh, what, what, we, what, the, what the ladies wanted individually or even what Jacob wanted. Jacob was whole, his, whole, his whole life. Remember what Jacob said before he even got to Laban's house. He went 
to Mount Sinai, and he laid down, and he put the stones around him. And it was all about telling Hashem, listen, my life is your life. I am a living sacrifice. Whatever you want from me, I'm willing to do. Now, like all of us, Jacob has a flaw, and he kind of forgets that a little bit because he gets mad at Leah. He gets mad at Leah for tricking him. He gets upset because he can't have Rachel. He's upset about everything that's going on in Laban's house. He um, ends up with Zilpah and Bilhah, and we're not really sure how Jacob feels about that necessarily. He accepts them as, as, as his wives, his additional wives, so he can't feel too bad about it. But he kind of forgets that Ain Old Milvado is the reality of life. That everything is from Hashem. And he's already told Hashem, listen, my life is a living sacrifice to you. And we say that to God. It doesn't mean that we don't need to try to do the right thing and, 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 and put our effort forward. You know, the, the old adage of God help, helps those who help themselves is actually a real thing. We used to say that growing up, and I'll never forget my, my Christian relatives would say, that's not in the Bible. No, it's not in the written Torah. It's in the oral Torah. What was the, the Dudaim? The Dudaim, it says in Rabbi uh, Mung's commentary, um, it says, while Rabbi Levi considered the Dudaim to be Cyprus, Rav, holds that they are mandrakes. This latter opinion is also shared by Onkelos and Ibn Ezra. The mandrake is an herb with a fleshly root, generally um, reminiscent of a human body with two legs. It is said to have an aphrodisiac properties, but Reuben only brought the flowers or the fruits. These have the form of an apple and are sweet-smelling. This is according to Ramban. So the dudaim are, is like, uh, it's a fertility herb. And Rachel wanted them for obvious reasons because Rachel had not yet become pregnant. And she had a lot of shame because of this. Because especially back in those days and to a lesser extent these days, when a woman can't have a baby, there's a lot of negative feelings about that. These days it's more personal. Back in the olden days it was more communal. That wasn't the biggest issue, though, for Rachel. There was two issues that Rachel had. Number one, she was concerned that when it came time for Jacob to go home and to take his wives, that she would not be included because she didn't give him any children. And that either he would divorce her or that her father wouldn't let her to go because she wasn't, in, in the eyes of her father, would not have been a legitimate wife since she doesn't have a child, so then she wouldn't be able to go to the Holy Land, number one. Number two, that she wouldn't be able to participate in the great mitzvah of bringing forth the one, at least one tribe. And number three, the biggest issue was, is that according to the, the ancient writings, Esau had already been writing to Jacob and saying, hey, it's not right for you to be married to two sisters. One of those sisters was mine. Leah was mine. Well, you ended up with Leah first, and then you later married Rachel. That wasn't appropriate, so give me Rachel. And since you don't have any children by her, she's mine. 
So now Rachel, you know, remember, Leah is married to Jacob because heaven decreed it because she prayed fervently that she wouldn't have to marry that guy, that idolatrous man. And now here's Rachel terrified that she's going to end up in the arms of Esau. So there's a lot going on. We have, on the one hand, we have Leah, who is generally disliked, unfortunately, by Jacob. I don't really understand Jacob's problem. Later on, after Rachel dies, he t- tends, we find out, to realize what a Zadika that Leah is. But that's her plight in life. She spends her whole life knowing that she's, she's playing second fiddle. But on the other hand, you can say, well, that really stinks for Leah. Rachel really had it good. No, Rachel didn't have it good. Can you imagine on your wedding day, ladies, that you're standing under the hoopah and, and your father comes up at the last minute and exchanges you for your sister? Can you imagine that your bridegroom is sending you gifts and your father is accepting those gifts and giving them to your sister? And then all of this happens, it's not your fault. And then on top of that, your sister ends up having half the tribes. So there's, there's every reason in the world for Rachel to be bitter. There's every reason in the world for her to be going crazy. There's every reason in the world for her to be breaking every dish she has in her cupboard. But what does it say about Rachel? It says she's silent. And it goes on to mention the descendants of Rachel. Now, I want to bring up another descendant of Rachel, spiritual descendant, and that is Messiah ben Yosef. We know that Mashiach is from the tribe of Judah, but spiritually, when he came the first time, he came from the tribe of Ephraim. He came, and that's why he came from Galilee. There's a reason why he was born in Bethlehem, but he started his ministry in Galilee. That's because he was initiating the ministry of Mashiach ben Yosef. Which, by the way, the, the, the name Yosef, we're going to find out, means to gather. So Yeshua, remember the mission of the Mashiach is to gather in the tribes? Yeshua's name on earth would literally have been Yeshua ben Yosef. Yeshua, the son of the gathering. Yeshua, the son of gathering. And so his, he literally is the son of Yosef. And so what does it say about Yeshua when they were hurling curses at him and hurling insults at him and accusing him of all these false things? What did he do? He remained what? Silent. And what does it say, by the way? Silent like a lamb to slaughter. What does Rachel mean? What are the core lessons of this? Mayam Loez brings down some really important core lessons to this, to this whole section, the important lessons of the parasha, or, or this, this section. It says, it is somewhat surprising. By the way, Rachel means lamb, in case you didn't hear the congregation when I asked that question. If you're watching online, you may not have heard. It is somewhat surprising, writes Ma'am Luez, that the Torah relates this entire incident. One could lose respect for the Torah as Manasseh, Menashe did when he said that Moses included useless information in the Torah. What's he, what's this talking about? 
Well, we're talking about a son who finds a plan to do daim. He comes. It's actually funny because the Midrash, I shared this with our family last night, the Midrash Rabbah brings down that Leah said, you've taken my old man and now you want my flower. So the, the term old man as referring to a husband goes all the way back to Leah and Rachel. <laughs> you thought it was an American thing. Leah and Rachel referred to Jacob as their old man. And so there's this whole story. It seems kind of superfluous. seems like it's useless information. And it says, this is the way of the unbelievers. Someone who's an unbeliever, you want to so this is interesting because if you look at Ma'am Loez, you look at Jewish thought, define unbeliever. Most people would say, oh, somebody who doesn't believe in the Mashiach. No, somebody who doesn't believe in the value of the Torah. It's an unbeliever. Which, by the way, is the Mashiach, so it makes sense. If you don't believe in the value of the Torah, then you can't believe in the Mashiach. You are therefore an unbeliever. So it says a religious Jew believes in the divinity of the Torah. So there's another definition. So someone who's a believer, a.k.a. a religious Jew, is someone who believes in the divinity of the Torah, meaning that everything has a purpose, even those things that we seem, that seem to be no purpose. Admittedly, it's not exactly exciting for me to read through gene- genealogies. It's interesting at times, but, you know, but I recognize that that's only my limited, finite mind. That if I could open my eyes like the matrix, that I could see that there's something very, very powerful. And probably one of these days when we're in Shemayim, the Mashiach will sit down with us and say, let's go over the genealogies. You'll be like, what? And he'll show me like, ah, can you believe that was right in front of us the whole time? We were reading about Noah and we should have been reading about that. So-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so. It says here, a religious Jew believes in the divinity of the Torah and knows that it contains nothing insignificant. If one contemplates this story well, we can learn some important lessons. He goes through some of the important lessons. Number one, that Reuben took only the love flower because he found them in a public field. This gives us an idea of what great saints Jacob's sons were. Although Reuben was still a very young child at the time, he would not even take something of minor value from a field belonging to someone else. He went only to a public place where there was no owners. Number one. Number two, Even at such a young age, Reuben respected his mother enough to give her the love flower immediately. He did not think of first tasting it himself. Number three, we see that Leah wanted to have as many of Jacob's children as possible. She did not tell him to wash up in Rachel's tent before coming to her. She she wanted to wash his feet with her own hands. Jacob knew that her motives were holy, so he did, he did as she wanted. Because she was so close to Jacob, she was worthy of being buried with him in Machpelah cave. Rachel, who was willing to give up for a bunch of love flowers, was not worthy of this. We're going to explore that more, of the, of the reason why Rachel was not buried in Machpelah. Now, it's interesting because Ma'am Loez is the one who brings down that Leah wanted to wash 
her husband's feet. Leah wanted to have more children, but she, she was also the wife who really wanted to be in the presence of the Zadik. And I'm just going to throw out a suggestion that because Leah was willing to wash the feet of the Zadok, the great Zadok came and washed our feet. It says, God considered these love flowers very precious since they result in the birth of two important tribes, Issachar and Zebulun. I would suggest that these love flowers ended up, ended up resulting in five tribes. Because, because of this exchange... Leah gave birth to Issachar and Zebulun, which are two very important, very unique tribes. Then later, Rachel, because of this, or we, we don't know if it's directly because of the flowers or not, but all we know is she got them, and the next thing you know, she's pregnant. So, you know, I guess the drugstore app worked. But she gave birth to Yosef. But then what happened? Yosef had two sons. Ephraim and Manasseh, who later become tribes. So because of this whole exchange, there are five tribes brought onto the scene. Why? And it really doesn't have anything to do with the Dudaim. It has everything to do with the two sisters and their care for each other. Leah went out to meet her husband. She didn't, and, and I have been... A miss, admittedly, in times past, I've taught this all wrong because, as I said last week, I was socially conditioned to believe that the, whenever you have multiple wives in the Bible, it was just a big hot mess. And it was a bunch of rivalry and a bunch of evil. And I went back and reread the story with a different perspective, and you see that Leah went out to meet her husband. She didn't go out there boastress. She didn't go out there saying, hey, you're mine. I bought you tonight. It wasn't like that. The reason she went out there is because she knew that the schedule, evidently they had a schedule, and the schedule was that he was going to be in Rachel's tent that night. And she felt it was inappropriate and unseemly and would be hurtful to Rachel, even though they had an agreement, it would be hurtful to Rachel for her to enter the tent and talk to Jacob about it. So she made sure that she listened for the braying of his donkey, which is why Issachar is a donkey. There's a connection. She listened for the braying of the donkey so that she would go out to meet him and explain to him the situation so that it would not bring any shame to Rachel. So all of this about love. And by the way, when she tells Jacob, she didn't say, hey, I, when, her... Leah's explanation is not, this happened to me because of the flowers. It's not what happened. Leah said, I was able to give birth to another son because I gave my handmaid as a wife unto my husband. Which brings a whole new twist on everything because Leah, what, what made Leah what, what great was she was all about the mission. And her mission was to make sure that those 12 tribes were born. And when she realized that she was no longer giving birth, she did not consider her personal feelings. Because let's face the facts. She, she was the wife that wasn't all that wanted. Her sister Rachel was getting the lion's share of the attention. The last thing Leah wants is to put another wife in the picture 
and take another piece of the husband's attention. But she did it anyway. Especially when he already had Rachel's handmaiden. Now, this is going to add a fourth situation. But Leah didn't care. To Leah, it was all about the mission of Hashem and what she was sent here to do. And that's why it's telling you that this situation ends up in five tribes because the, the heart of the people. Now, Rachel is, on the one hand, she's rebuked a little bit by the sages because she traded in time with her husband for these flowers. That's considered a negative. But, on the other hand, Rachel, at the same time, was desperate to have a child because, A, she wanted to be part of the mission. B, she did not want to uh, be stuck in a pagan land. She wanted to go to the promised land. And C, she did not want to be stuck with an idolatrous husband. So again, her whole heart is about the mission. So because everybody is looking out for the other person, and Rachel didn't complain, she didn't gripe about the fact that she had to give up a, a, a night with Jacob. She didn't say anything to Leah. They didn't get into an argument. But because everybody was looking out for everybody else and everybody was looking towards the mission, there was five tribes that came out of this situation. It says, the Torah says, Jacob slept with her that night. Now listen to this. It says, Jacob slept with her that, that night, Belilahu. So the Hebrew expression, expression is literally hahu, rather than just simply who. This verse comes to teach us then that he slept with her that night, he did. Which means that this teaches that God rejoiced in Leah's act and that Hashem participated in her conception. Yes, you read that right. Or you heard it right, I should say. That when you, I often say there's nothing new in the New Testament. There's nothing new in the New Testament. We actually find in the Hebrew that when it came time, remember, Leah is, she's had children, but she stopped having children. And so, it's to presume that she can't have any more kids. Something happened. So in the New Testament, we find where Hashem causes the virgin, Miriam, to become pregnant. He causes her to conceive. We act as if that's never happened before. But in actuality, we learn, that we learn through the Zohar that the the Shekinah came upon Sarah and caused her to conceive. There's miracle birth after miracle birth after miracle birth. In this, it literally says in Rabbi Mun's commentary, that night, instead of the pronoun chahu, the text employs the word hu, which contains an indirect reference to him. That is the Holy One, blessed be he. He himself was present that night and helped in the conception of the child. This comment is better understood when we call the words in 2935 that Leah stopped giving birth. Therefore, it was only through divine intervention that she subsequently had two more children, for God alone knew the purity of her intentions, and God alone knew that she deserved to be blessed anew. 
So basically what this is saying, according to the Hebrew, is that this is saying that Hashem is the one who brought the conception, ultimately. So that she would give birth to two more sons. She would have a total of six sons and one daughter, a daughter named Dina. Who, by the way, would have a daughter, Asnath, who would be sent off to Egypt and would be adopted by Potiphar. And she would have a little chain around her neck that said, I'm, I'm Asnath, but Yaakov. And when Joseph was riding through the city streets and on the king's chariot and being hailed, all the single girls were throwing flowers into him, his chariot, and Asnath took off that necklace and threw it into the chariot. And when he looked down, he looked at it and said, Bat Yosef, and he, he stopped those horses right there, threw it in the park. So he ended up marrying the daughter of Dina and then had two children by, by her that became tribes all from this incident. That's the amazing section of it. The two sons, Issachar and Zebulun. It says here, um, just, just a, a quote talking about Leah being concerned for Rachel's honor. It says, Leah went out to meet her husband so that she should not have to seek him in her sister's tent where he was headed, wanting to avoid humiliating her sister. She had watched for Jacob's return at nightfall, for during the day he was away pasturing Laban's flocks. Leah gives birth to half the tribe. She gives birth to Zebulun and, and uh, Issachar. They are two important tribes because Issachar is known in the Torah as the one who can discern the times. But the re why is he the one who can discern the times? This is greatly misunderstood because people say, well, he was able to discern the times, so he was a great prophet. He's prophesying. He's always having prophetic conferences. Sold all kinds of DVDs and CDs and, man, had healing lines and, ah, uh, it's amazing. But action, actuality, what made Zebulun, or excuse me, what made Issachar one who was able to discern the times, this is cr critical, is because he spent his entire time studying the Torah. He was able to discern the times, and the sages bring down when it talks about discerning the times, it's primarily talking about the festive times. He was able to discern the calendar. So once again, it's not about he was able just to walk up to people and say, huh, I feel like the Lord is saying about you, uh, the Lord is saying, uh, 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 no, he's reading the Torah all the time. I've got experience. When I went to Bible college, you had to take a whole class on how to talk like that. <laughs> Spent hours in the sound booth. Ah, ah. Issachar spent his whole time studying the Torah. Zebulun was born to be the other half of Issachar, essentially, to provide the means by which Issachar could study. 
So he, in other words, Zebulun was always known as the one who went to work and made a living so that Issachar could stay in the tents and study Torah, and they benefited each other that way. Which is why the sages say there's a whole discussion. It's rather long. I won't go through the whole thing here in the middle of Shabbat. But there's a whole discussion of why they had to be of the same mother and the same father. And the answer was because they had to have such a tight bond, such a close bond. It says, this model, this is in the insights to the Midrash Rabbah, this is the model of the combination of the sacred and the mundane in our lives and in our nation. When the, when the mundane is performed for the purpose of supporting and promoting the sacred, then it is all sacred. Both are born from the same womb. Both live for the same ideal. Both are destined for the same reward. This is why it's important in our lives that our Judaism and our Jewishness not be um, detached from everything else we do. This is what makes the, the Jewish religious life uh, different from other religious life is that it's not compartmentalized. Jews don't have a day of worship. That's the most ridiculous thing anybody could ever say. Like we just go along our day, and we get all these different days, and then we, up, tip, oh, worship day. Everybody, put on your, put on your Jewish equipment. Let's go be Jews today. Then we walk away, and we're not Jews tomorrow, until the next day of worship comes around. But in the Jewish life, everything we do is just a means to it to an end. Everything is just. Some people have hobbies, for instance, right? And a lot of times they work to support their hobby. But Jews work to support their, their Judaism. The Yom Tov's right. <laughs> Everything is intended to support the mission. Amen. And a lot of times we forget that. We think that, we're, we, we think that we're working so that we can have a bigger car, a bigger house. This is what the, the, a lot of people get, Lord, I need that Cadillac. Why? Not that God doesn't want us to have nice stuff. I like nice stuff. I always am a big fan of buying the top of the line. Shoshana and I learned that in the early years of our marriage to buy the best you can afford. <laughs> I bought a truck, a brand new truck one time for the first time. It was one of those ones, you young people are not going to know this. You had the, roll, you had, the windows came down like this. Y'all don't know nothing about that. Stick shift. It had AC. I don't think it had a DVD player. I mean a CD player. Wasn't quite cassette, but it might have had a cassette. I can't remember. It was, it was just, uh, you know, what, the, the seats were just that regular material, you know. But it was a truck, and it was a Dodge truck, and it was an extended cab, and I was proud of it. But I ran into somebody. I brought it brand new, and I was so excited. My first brand new vehicle, zero miles off the lot. Then I ran into, we ran into a friend who had a similar truck, but they brought it a couple years new, uh, used, and it was leather, electric everything, nice everything. And then I am, I'm like, they got a nice truck. Let me look at it. I got to adjust my mirror. 
And I was so upset, I realized that was dumb. I should have got the two or three-year-old model. I could have got the, the luxury XL Laramie edition or whatever. And never again did we buy a new vehicle like that because we wanted luxury everything. Hashem gives us, uh, gives us what we need in order to support the mission. I like what Tom Ferris said. He, Tom came by yesterday. He was doing some work here. And we were talking about kids or whatever. And Tom said something really good. He said that, um, that Hashem, the purpose of, of Hashem providing an economy is so that he can provide a means by which you can support your family. For the purpose of having children, for the purpose of furthering the covenant. And I thought, you know what? That is such a profound statement because a lot of times we think that economy is all about us. And God says, the economy is not about you. It's about the mission. The reason you have an economy is because you need a mission. And sometimes we want things. Hadassah and I were talking about my dream yacht on the way into shul this morning. I have no need for a yacht. See, I don't need a yacht for the mission, but I do, Lord. There's people at sea need to know about you. <laughs> I have no need to live on a luxury yacht in a marina. That's all vanity. This confession time right now. <laughs> Woo! Confession. But I can dream about it, and I can enjoy them, and I can go look at them, I guess, and they have a boat show or whatever. But I realize it's not, it's not pertinent to my mission. Now, God may want to one day give me one just because, you know, he likes that. But it's not, that's not essential. God had mercy on Rachel. It says here that uh, on this day of judgment, he had listened to Leah's dean, listened to Leah's prayer. And it says, and he also listened to the combined prayers of Leah, Bilhah, and Zippah on, on behalf of Rachel, and also the multitude of prayers of Rachel herself. And he had taken into account Rachel's great merit and the mental anguish she suffered when she thought that she might ultimately have to become married to Esau. Hence, answering Rachel's prayer was really an act of justice. The whole discussion was, how come it wasn't an act of mercy? It's because ultimately it came back down to God answering the justice of the cause. This is a very interesting statement here. I just want to share this with you from Rabbi Monk's commentary as well. I found it interesting. How many of you ever heard the statement that the law, the law of Christ, or the law of, of Messiah, right? It says here, indeed, he was the active and productive element. This is talking about Yosef. He was the active and productive element who, through his deeds, brought the history of Jacob's children to fruition while the brothers submitted to his law. Now, I like to talk about Yosef because Yosef is, of course, a type and shadow of Messiah. And it's interesting because it says that it's Yosef who brought, it was through Yosef that the history of the brother, brothers was brought to fruition and the brothers submitted to what? The law of Yosef. So there's a pattern in everything. There's also some keys to a shim that Rabbi Monk mentions, and I've talked about this before in times past, but it's important to point this out again. 
It says, Rabbi Yochanan says that God holds in his own hands three keys that nobody else has the power to use. He himself can use them, only him. Here's the three keys. The key of procreation, the key of rain and good weather, and the key of resurrection. This is Tananit 2b. Someone says, I don't think that Messiah was divine. He never claimed to be divine. Well, he, he told the wind and the rain to stop, and he said, I am the resurrection and the life. This is why they said to him, this is why the disciples, who were not stupid, you know, people teach about the disciples, and they, they teach that they were just a bunch of country bunkins, did not know not nothing. They was back there just, you know, you know, cleaning stuff, making the stuff look good. And I'll come, this rabbi said, follow me. That's the wall. Shucky darns, I guess so. <laughs> Mabel, come out that concrete pond. We're trying to go follow this Mashiach guy. Now, but it turns out they were, they were actually pretty smart, pretty, pretty educated. And see, they knew this already. We're just now finding it out. You heard, you, some of you just heard this for the very first time ever. But, but they knew it already. That's why when he told the wind and the rain to stop, they said, what manner of man is this? Why? Because uh, God holds those, key, those keys. And when he said, I'm the resurrection and life, and they were like, oh, we know, you're so sweet. We know that one day she'll be, that he'll be resurrected. But he's like, no, no, stop. Lazarus! Lazarus, come forth. When he walked out of that grave, they were like, whoa. Because only Hashem has those keys. Only Hashem has those keys. We know, by the way, just a couple more this couple more things real quick to glean from all of this. We know that the three times of prayer are associated with the patriarchs. Shacharit is to Abraham, Minka is to Isaac, and Mariv is to Yaakov. But did you know that Musaf is to Yosef? So Musaf the, the, the name the name or word rather for Musaf is Mem Yud Samak pay Sophit. Musaf has the root of Yosef in it. So Yosef, it's interesting to me that Mashiach bin Yosef, there's a prayer time associated with him, and it's the extra. It's the additional. It's almost like Mashiach in the age to come. One final thing. Why is it at this story that at the end of, of it all, that we see that Yosef, excuse me, Yaakov, after the birth of Yosef, Yaakov is, is suddenly says, you know what, I need to go to the promised land. He knows he's got one more son to be born. He has one more son to be born, so what is it about this situation that says, you know what, it's time for us to go now? And this is the answer. It says, Vahi ba'asher yalda. Rachel et Yosef. And it was when Rachel had given birth to Yosef. 
So it says, why did he wait for Yosef to be born before deciding to go back to the parents' home? Because it had been revealed to him that the house of Esau would fall at the hands of Joseph's children, as the prophet Obadiah confirmed in 118. Now, Jacob explained, I no longer have anything to fear from Esau and his legions, from Targan Yonanon. Now, what does this mean for us if we look at this? Esau is related to who? Rome and to Christianity. That because of the birth of Yosef, that Esau would ultimately fall to Jacob. And we see now there's been a rebirth of Messiah ben Yosef. There's been a rebirth of the true Messiah and his true faith. And we have to understand, despite how things look, that eventually Esau will fall to that faith. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. 